Okay, well, welcome to uh, FilmNerds.com. I'm your host, Matt Scalisi, and uh, with us is the guest programmer for our new series that we're beginning today, Graham Flanagan. Uh, and uh, let's talk about this new series. This, uh, this series is going to be focusing on uh, the, the master of the silent comedy era, but really a guy that I think we'll, we'll discover has had uh, just a, an immeasurable influence on film comedy as a whole, uh, Charlie Chaplin. Graham, tell us a little about why you decided you wanted to, to do a series about Chaplin's films and, um, and maybe what you, what you want to focus on in this series. Well, you know, you, you, you say he, you know, he, he was a, a major figure as far as silent cinema, but I think that his influence goes beyond that. And I mean, he, he, is, he is one of the great figures of cinema. I mean, this guy was born before you know, movies, movies were even being made. And the medium was literally, you know, at its inception. And he, he, you know, he was the one that really figured out how it could be utilized to, to entertain and to engage the masses. Um, and, and so being a a film fan and a, and a comedy fan, I'd always, you know, of course you hear about Charlie Chaplin. I mean, if people ask you, like if if people would say, who are like the top five greatest stars of all time, Charlie Chaplin would probably be one of them. And I hadn't, up to this point, really had a chance to, to really kind of study and, and enjoy his films. And I think that it's, it's fundamental for, for any cinema fan to, to, be, to be able to experience and appreciate his work. Um, and I think that it's, it's entertainment that, that will... Uh, appeal to to everyone. It's it's got universal appeal to, to all ages. I mean, I, I look forward to showing my kids uh, his films, and I think that that's like all I'm going to let them watch for a while. Um, you know, because it's just it's so funny, but yet it's so touching. And and the, the movies themselves, have, the, the comedies at least, the early ones especially, have such uh, wonderful messages about morality and kindness. Um, and so I just think it's it's a it's a key uh, building block of cinema that that everyone should should know about, and you know <laughs> once they know about it, hopefully they'll check it out and be able to enjoy it as much as I have. And I want to just uh, share one thing with you. Um, a few weeks ago, I was reading the uh, Jerry Lewis wrote a book about his time with Dean Martin. And it's a great read that you'll fly through if you're interested at all in, sh- in show business. And Jerry Lewis being one of the most popular screen comedians. But in the book, there's a, he references Chaplin uh, a few times. But there was one quote that I thought that I, would, I, we should, I should share here, and I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. It says, in the bones, funny is a gift. You're either born with it or you're not. Charlie Chaplin had more of it than anyone else. Discussing Chaplin's genius would be like measuring the ocean with a cup. And then he goes on to say, Maven! <laughs> Very eloquent, yeah. But no. he, he's, he's one of the, you know, he, he is the, in, the greatest influence over all of our, the comedians that we know, especially, you know, like Jerry Lewis being one example. Um, and then, all you know, Woody Allen, I think, borrows a lot. From, from Charlie Chaplin. I'm sure we're going to get into that later because there are some direct comparisons that can be made. But just the, the I think just the fact that he has been such a major influence is, is uh, one of the main reasons that we should take the time to study his stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially especially early Woody Allen. It's it's just straight. It, it, it's just Chaplin. That's all he's doing is is making a Chaplin movie. Yeah. But uh, you know, you mentioned Jerry Lewis and. Uh, I've been I've I've read a little bit about him recently because there's a little bit of a vamp up to the Oscars that are coming up in a few weeks uh, where Jerry Lewis will be getting the Lifetime Achievement Award this year, and uh, you know guys like Jerry Lewis and I, I'm sure Chaplin was this way as well uh, from from reading about him, you know guys who ended up being the sort of standout film comedians of their day, um, they they all took it very seriously. They weren't um, they, you know, they weren't uh, just having a good time and, and catching it on film, which I think has been the case with some sort of trendy uh, film film comedy stars over the years. But guys like that, uh, you know, they really were quite obsessive about it. They probably didn't have a lot of fun while they were making it. Um, and there's, you know, I think that's I think that's always been the case with with anybody who wants to do something uh, at a level of greatness. You know, comedy's no different. It, it, it's it's something that a lot of effort and a lot of uh, painstaking detail is put. You know, is is paid attention to. And Chaplin, Chaplin definitely was the first guy to do that on film. And and I want to talk about just kind of this this serious discussion of the the art or science of comedy, whatever you want to call it. Because there's there's kind of a I, I'm friends with a lot of stand up comedians uh, here in Birmingham and and a couple in Atlanta and. A lot of them sort of believe, you know, that there's this kind of movement that comedy goes in where uh, it sort of cycles between shocking and silly, uh, where, where you know, for a while the popular theme in comedy is to be as outrageous in, as possible and push people to the limits of what they're comfortable with. And then people kind of get played out on that, uh, and we sort of revert back to childish innocence uh, silliness sort of thing. Um, so you can you can go back and look at film comedies of different eras and see uh, how it's moved through these different phases. But um, it seems like every time they go back to that sort of silly form of comedy, uh, it's all coming from Chaplin. I, I, talk talk a little about what he did to make that sort of uh, just sort of innocent, basic. Uh, you know, it, it, it's. It's visual based. It's 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 it certainly surprises us sometimes, but it's it's not all about shock and outrageousness. It's it's more it's it works on seemingly kind of a more basic level. Talk about what you think Chaplin's comedy comes from, basically. What does it hit in us that makes us laugh? Well, what you notice a lot is, and one of my favorite thing things about these movies uh, after watching them is not you know Chaplin himself, of course, is is, is pure genius, you know, and he's amazing but i always enjoy his interactions with the the supporting characters like the straight men and how they react and i think a lot of it is just how people interact with each other he's he's been it seems like he's just been inspired by the ways that people get annoyed with each other just in simple passing and simple conversation that that the ways that that people are just kind of unable to 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 mesh and and relate to one another and there's always like uh this this conflict between people because everybody has their own agenda and their own kind of schedule and when they whenever you interact with somebody there's always the potential that that someone is going to kind of throw you off your schedule and that's certainly what 
the tramp does for pretty much everyone he he in, uh, encounters. Everyone he encounters seems to be all business. They that things should be done a certain way, and when they they encounter the tramp, somebody that kind of just lives uh, second to second without any real. Uh, course of action they're they're just kind of they're thrown off and, and annoyed and distracted by that and i think that uh that has a lot to do with it and and you know you read i've been taking a look at his autobiography chaplin's autobiography he had a very uh rough sad childhood um his parents were divorced and his mother was a was a decently successful actress at one point but because of like laryngitis uh, that would not go away. Basically, she she lost her singing voice, and then they they were reduced to just hardcore poverty. She was in and out of asylums, and he was similar to to the tramp in a lot of ways. Kind of, he would roam the streets, get food uh, wherever he could. Uh, you know, he talks about the only thing he had for dinner is like a saucer of beef dripping. You know, and that would be kind of a normal thing for him. And so he had a tough life, but uh, just. It, and from from being I think four or five years old, just had a a, a just a, a love for the theater, a love for for entertaining, and he it seems like he packed into everything he did, kind of those the the sad, more tragic experiences, and and was able to see or, and find a way to to incorporate those those uh less you know uh, the, the sadder, less fortunate aspects of life into into uh, a medium that was meant for entertaining people. You know, uh, it's it, we'll go ahead and segue into the first piece of film we're going to talk about because it's. I think you sort of hit on that when you're talking about what Chaplin, what Chaplin's tramp character does and what his basic uh, form of comedy is, which is uh, throwing people off off of their routine and and sort of upsetting the balance. And uh, we're we're going to put a link up actually on the on the page of this podcast. Uh, because the first film we're going to talk about is actually available on YouTube, and it is uh, it's Chaplin's first uh, short that was actually released. I think he might have produced one before this, um, but this is the first time anyone ever saw Chaplin's uh, tramp character, basically, uh, and it's called Kid Auto Races at Venice, uh, and it's a it's a short that ran in 1914 originally. Um, and this is just I think I think Graham you wanted to you wanted to look at this short and talk about it a little bit because you know even though this is sort of one joke um, it's it, it really is the perfect you know way for us to start this this series of podcasts because I think it encompasses everything about Chaplin's style of comedy talk about what we see in this film and and you know what you think about it yeah, I mean, this is this is the birth of the, one of the greatest icons ever. You know, you, now it's and it's just a link on YouTube now, which I think is great. You know, yeah. you can you can check it out, uh, and it is hilarious. It, it is to me. I mean, I can watch it over and over and over again. Kind of the the uh, the plot, if if you will, is uh, there is there are these um, there's this this race in in I guess Venice, California, and all these people have come out, and it's these kids that have kind of built these little cars that they send down a ramp and, and every, this is, it's pretty cool. Uh, and it's, you know, sad that this kind of thing doesn't happen anymore as far as I know. But, uh, along with everybody else that's out there to watch it is the tramp who is just kind of there because everybody else is, and he just kind of wants to see what's going on. And he's got a cigar that he continues to smoke, but he notices that there's a film crew there to capture all the action. And he is obsessed with 
getting in the shot. Right. No matter what, you know, he, he, he's determined to be in the shot. He just wants to, he doesn't really want to perform. He just kind of wants to be a part of the tableau. Uh, he wants to make sure that he his mark is left on this film, that he was a part of it and that he was there. So they let him in one shot, and then they move on to the next setup, and he kind of creeps into the into the picture. And he keeps doing it, and he keeps smoking and just kind of pretending like there is no camera there, but it's obviously he, it's obvious he wants to be on on film. And then the director of the film, uh, you know, gets frustrated and starts shoving him out of the way, and it just continues with with him. Uh, Walking into frame, getting into the frame, you know, being almost being hit by the cars. He's risking his life to be part of this, and so it goes. And and to me, it's just uh, it's it's uh, and on another note, it's just an amazing time capsule. I mean, you're watching 1914. He 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 went to uh, he just took a camera, and the, a lot of these people are real people. You know, this isn't like a big group of extras. He kind of just it's kind of a in in a lot of ways, it's a lot like uh, something that. Uh, Ali G or Borat would do absolutely. You know, I think I think it's amazing that this is really uh, kind of the first example of a, a genre of comedy that is becoming really popular today, which is the the sort of mockumentary. Because because really, what this is is it's it, it's not it's it's meant to be a piece of found footage. You know, it's meant to be a, a piece of film, a documentary that was being made, and it just so happens that something funny is happening in it. And, you know, it's it's basically the same kind of comedy that we see on The Office, for example, um, you know, where it's just kind of the, the character is, you know, aware of the camera. He's aware that a film is being made, and he's trying to, you know, he, he's acting a certain way because there's a camera there. It's you know, It's amazing that he was able to sort of uh, get this level of i mean it 's really a, a complex sort of form of comedy to to be acknowledging that there 's a camera there uh, right. but, but Chaplin was on top of this in nineteen fourteen you know yeah, and he was only i think twenty four or twenty five when he made this uh this film so i mean it it to honest like i said i it's it 's just his i 'll put this right in the same pantheon as uh City Lights and Modern Times. I mean, it's just it is it is so funny to me. Just the, his the way he acts, the, his body language, the way he smokes that cigar, and just the basic concept to me is is hilarious. And it's it's one of the most important pieces of, of comedy that I've ever been fortunate enough to see. Uh, and I think it's just a great jumping off point for this character. And there's a little link to this. Uh to this short that's right above the the podcast player and you can click on it right now it'll open an extra window for you and you can be watching it while you uh while you listen to us but still pay attention to us though <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh you can you can actually find i think most if not all of chaplin's short films that he did on youtube and then uh, obviously the the chaplin estate has done a really good job of getting all of his films out on dvd so uh, if you have a Netflix account, you can you can basically see everything that Chaplin made, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about one of those films that's available on DVD um, next. Here, we're gonna talk about his 1925 film, The Gold Rush, um, which is definitely one of his most highly regarded features. Um, and a- according to Chaplin, it's it's the film he says he would most like to be remembered for. Um, and this this is a this is a feature Chaplin had had already done features before the Gold Rush, but this was this was sort of significant because uh, it was the first film that he made for the studio that he 
helped form with a with a few other actors, um, which was United Artists, and uh, you know. It, it was a big deal at the time. It was a major release. It was anticipated because people knew about Chaplin. He had become a star because of his shorts. Uh, he had become the the biggest, you know, one of the biggest comedy stars uh, of his time, if not if not a you know a global star really at this point. And um, you know, whenever you t- whenever whenever we're going to describe these Chaplin features, it's going to sound like a very simple comedy plot. But uh, until you see it, it's hard to imagine. Uh, how much sort of emotional complexity is in this uh, is in his his features he really tries to inject a a good you know a, a real heart to his storylines and it makes you really feel for these characters despite how silly they are Graham talk about just uh the basic plot of the gold rush and you know obviously it's it's the same character that he's played in these shorts the tramp but talk about what sort of scenario he's placed in in this movie well, the, it's the gold rush uh, of the, I'm assuming, they, they've kind of put him back in the, uh, the the 19th century, I guess. I mean, is that... Right, or, the, the Alaskan gold rush, which I right. think was the, the mid-1800s. <laughs> so he kind of, the tramp goes back in time. Right. Uh, and he's, you know, he, this guy is, uh, as you'll find watching all these films, is kind of an opportunist uh he, he's he, he's always looking uh for for work even though he's kind of a lazy bum but he he's always looking for a way to make money so he can kind of buy more cigars and cigarettes and and you know uh guess maybe get something to eat so this is taking him to the alaskan frontier where he's trying to uh, cash in on this gold rush and he shows up in one of the best entrances of all of his movies uh hiking he's got a backpack but he's still wearing his kind of tramp outfit with his little worn out tuxedo and derby hat um and he uh is is wandering around and we you know there's a funny part with a with the uh, a bear kind of passes him he doesn't notice it but we we see that bear later on in the movie it's a real bear right yeah yeah that and that becomes a major plot point but so he basically in his travels um uh, uh happens upon this cabin and these two other guys that are also uh, prospectors looking for gold. One of them's a good guy, and one of them is a bad guy. And uh, they they are uh, hungry and waiting in, in the cabin because there's a major storm outside. And then they all kind of get separated, and, and Charlie Chaplin or the Tramp ends up uh, heading to this. To uh, he gets separated from the good guy, and he ends up in this mining town where he is able to become the caretaker for a guy's house and has a place to stay while, while he, he's away on his own prospecting journey. And he ends up falling in love with this dance hall girl. And uh, that's pretty much the, uh, then, then he's reunited with his, one of the men from the cabin, the good guy, and they attempt to find the uh, site of that prospector's strike and, and strike it rich. And there's, you know, uh, along the way in this, there's, there's a, some opportunities he takes to really do some pretty impressive uh, visual effects, really, for the time. I mean, and really today, it's 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 pretty impressive to look at when, yeah. you, when you know what kind of you know budget and technology was available to them. Um, and particularly, I want to touch on there's a there's a sequence where uh, towards the end of the movie, there's they're in a they're in the cabin and the, the cabin has sort of found itself on the edge of a cliff. Um, and 
you know, Chaplin is Chaplin and, and the other guys in the cabin are, are sort of teetering. They're, they're, they're their weight is causing the cabin to sort of tilt back and forth, and we see them sort of sliding down the floor and trying to climb up. And uh, I mean, it, it was it was as far as I've been able to find, it, it was actually just a a big novelty set that they built. I mean, they they made it happen. Um, talk, talk about just sort of the ambition of of staging a big comedy set piece that's this elaborate and this sort of. Uh, I, I'm sure it was slightly dangerous. Absolutely. I mean, this, like I said earlier, you know, this this guy was alive for the 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 the, the birth of the film medium, and it just shows you the the range of his genius and in, in that he was able to to think beyond okay, just people and situations and was able to, to come up with this this uh, this conceit of these guys in this house and then he used all these he uses like miniatures, he uses fake set, he uses a, a big kind of complex set that they built. They use matte effects. Yeah, and Graham, there's talk, so much that goes into it. Talk talk about how that's accomplished. Um, we, we see some shots where it, it looks like maybe uh, Chaplin and, and some of the other guys were sort of photographed from far away and then sort of superimposed on this shot of of the cabin. Right, the wider uh, shots. Yeah, how was that accomplished back then uh, when we were just still dealing with this sort of uh, early film technology? Do you as know far, how well, that as far was as I know, As far as I know, it's, it's Matt. I, I'll have to double check because I don't want to start to upend me and contradict <laughs> me with his, you know, his limitless film knowledge. Right. But uh, oh, as a matter of fact, no. Uh, now, now every time, every time I do a, uh, I can't tell my Barack Obama and Ben Stark. It's very similar, yeah, it is. <laughs> but uh, as far as I know, it's that they they would shoot some, they would shoot uh, the whatever characters they they needed to be doing, you know, to be hanging off the cliff, and they would shoot it super wide, and then they would um, crop it as necessary, and then uh, superimpose it, like you said, over the 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 scene, the background scene, so it appeared. Uh, that they would be that, that he would be uh, kind of hanging off the cliff when actually it's just it's two pieces of film at once, right? Um, and there's another there's another moment in this film that I guess sort of involved technology. It wasn't wasn't quite as uh, tough to stage, but it was definitely imaginative, uh, and that is the sort of famous boot eating sequence in the Gold mm-hmm. Rush, and. Uh, this is this is sort of a, a moment that has been parodied. You know, you, most most people probably our age have seen it done in cartoons uh, rather than actually seeing what Chaplin did. But there's a sequence where the guys in the cabin run out of food and they basically boil one of Chaplin's shoes and decide to eat it. And they sort of you know they slurp up the laces like spaghetti and then they they sort of pull out the tacks and and eat the shoe leather. This was actually. Done by uh, they they had a they had a candy maker out of San Francisco make this especially for them out of licorice, and so you know obviously he wasn't really eating a shoe. It was it's very convinc- convincing to look at, and it was it was sort of outrageous for its day. It was one of those moments where movie audiences were just screaming; they couldn't believe what they were seeing. Uh, but actually, I read more about it, and you know it sounds licorice doesn't sound like that big of a deal. Apparently, back then licorice. Uh, was not the same thing as we have today, and it was sort of, it was sort of a, a really intense sort of diuretic, and uh, these guys apparently got really sick after having to do so many takes. Chaplin wanted the 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 sequence to come out well, and they you know they ate 
10 or 12 of these shoes and apparently got pretty sick from, from the whole affair. Graham, talk about, talk about that, you know, little, little gags like this and, and how Chaplin sort of, you know, I think this is a good example of things he does in other films, just committing so much to a gag like this. Sure. Well, um, he did put himself in danger. I read, I read, uh, I think on the IMDb that they actually shot 63 takes of this. I, I believe it. Yeah. And, uh, that, that Chaplin himself was, uh, rushed to the hospital directly from the set for insulin shock. Right. Too much so, sugar. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he definitely, uh, put him, put him in himself at risk. I mean, you see in his later movies, the, 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 the physical comedy gets a little bit more intense, uh, Especially once you get to modern times, when you're dealing with, you know, when he's doing the scenes where he's, uh, you know, running, uh, being being processed through a machine, and then in that film as well, the the roller skating scene, sure, where he approaches the ledge of the uh, the, the edge, and I'm not sure how much mat work was done in that either, but it this and this this scene also has some significance after kind of finding out about it, it, uh, after the fact for me had some significance because after finding out what a luxury food was for him when he was a kid, um, you know, to, to find out the things like he, he would eat like a pack of sugar for dinner and uh, salt, you know, salt was just this, um, this, you know, not to be taken lightly or taken for granted. So to, 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 to know that aspect of his life, uh, you know, he was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth and, and every day it was kind of a struggle for food, especially when he was on his own, when his mom was in the, the hospital. And this kind of for this, I think this scene kind of uh, harkens back to that. That he's he's enjoying it, he's appreciating it. He's he's like, this is the best we can do, and we'll do it. And I'll go to sleep, and we'll try a little bit harder tomorrow. So it says a lot about the the, the tramp's resolve. And uh, I, I just like you said, it's the the creativity factor. They 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 find so many different ways to eat the shoe, you know, that they eat it kind of like as normal food, like they'll, they'll carve it. He kind of carves it and eats it like it's chicken. Right. And then he, then he eats it like it's, uh, like he's eating corn on the cob. He and yeah, uh, then <laughs> he sort of crunches the tacks up like, yeah, like they're candy. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and then, then he eats it. Then he eats the laces like spaghetti. I mean, it's just that just kind of exhausting all comic possibilities for this simple gag of eating a shoe. Uh, is is what makes this so special. He doesn't simply sit there and chew on a shoe for laughs. I mean, they take it to the limit and beyond. Any other uh, any other moments that stick out to you from this? Movie? Oh yeah, so many. I mean, um, one of my favorite <laughs> scenes is uh, where they're they're starving in the in the cabin. Uh, Big Jim and 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 uh, the tramp or the lone prospector, and uh, as they call as he's built in the movie. They're starving, and the and Big Jim starts to fantasize that that the tramp is a is a chicken, a live chicken, and and he starts to think, oh God, I'm I'm so hungry, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill him, which this is a gag that that was has been used in Bugs Bunny cartoons for years and sure. years and years. I, and I have a feeling this might be kind of where they got that inspiration, um, but Charlie Chaplin himself dresses up in a chicken suit. And does some amazing physical comedy uh, at where he he just nails the the uh, body language of a chicken, and it's uh, apparently they they had an actor come in and try and do it, and Chaplin wasn't wasn't pleased with his his uh, the physicality that he was bringing to it, and Chaplin said, "Screw it, I'll I'll play the chicken," 
and just to know that and to watch it, it's just some brilliant physical comedy, you know, that he, he was ready to do. I mean, he, he had it in his bones, as Jerry Lewis says, that it didn't matter. He, he wasn't limited to playing one character or uh, playing human beings. I mean, he, he, would, he was willing to study a chicken and figure that out. That's one of my favorite scenes. And then another one is uh, at the, the Monte Carlo dance hall where a lot of the action takes place. Uh, someone plays a, a trick on him where uh, they tie a dog's leash yeah. to his, his leg. And so he starts to dance with a woman and this dog is attached to him by a leash and he's, he's, uh, dancing around and, and, uh, you know, this dog is, is having to kind of, it's tied to him and it's hilarious and people start laughing at him. And I noticed that, that Chaplin likes to do, he has, he has a lot of gags in his movies that include dogs kind of getting in the way, uh, in, I think at least four or five of his films. And that's one of my favorites, uh, one of my favorite, uh, scenes and then that surely will bring us to the dance uh, to the dancing roles sure yeah yeah talk about that Graham. that's that's another thing that i think you know from cartoons and pop culture uh gets referenced a lot but you know again it's it's one of those things that uh, when you see the when you see the original performance of it it really uh it really makes you appreciate it more oh it's 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 incredible i mean it's like kind of a cliche at this point, but to actually sit down and watch it, it is amazing what he does. It is so, it's, you know, it just proves, he just keeps proving over and over that he is all he's cracked up to be, you know, what everybody says about him. Uh, I read that, that around the world and in various movie houses that audiences would scream after it was over and demand that the film be rolled back so that they could watch this scene again, immediate, <laughs> immediately, you know, <laughs> And that, that's, 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 I love that little, before that the little DVD story. era. Yeah, exactly. Like there is no, you know, so they, they would, they would demand, and this was uh, in various theaters around the world. They would demand that, that it be rolled back so they could see it again. <laughs> and I, that's the first time I've ever heard anything uh, like that. So that's kind of a testament to, to the greatness of its, of this scene. I think maybe we should put the link up for that as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm sure there's that's, a link to isolated. that, to that shot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. it, yeah. We'll, go ahead. We'll put the link to that up. Well, uh, and uh, do you where are you are you, you can keep going now? Uh, I've got a couple <laughs> more things to say, but if you have if you have you want to move it on to the next part of the gold rush, whatever. Uh, well, you know, I think I think one thing I want to discuss about the gold rush is uh, that there are kind of two different versions uh, of this film out there that people might not be aware. Uh, mm-hmm. And when you when you get the the only DVD copy that I'm aware of contains both versions, but they're on two separate discs, so you want to make sure. Uh, you know which one you're getting, but basically this film was um, was originally released in 1925 in in the silent version, uh, just like all of his other uh, silent features. It was actually re-released, uh, I think, about 20 years later, maybe in the 40s, uh, it, sort of well after the end of the silent era. Uh, but it, it was, you know, it was it remained a very very popular film, and was re-released uh, with with kind of a, a recorded narration. Uh, that was actually written and performed by Chaplin himself. And he's got this very, you know, you're not expecting his voice until the, the first time you ever hear it. It's a very refined uh, English accent, uh, sort of sort of very proper, and, and it's a nice contrast to the silliness that you're seeing on screen. But, uh, Graham, have you seen, have you seen the, the version with the narration? Yes, uh, I, that was the first time that I saw it. So yeah, like you said, this this uh, spe- the the DVD is two discs. the The original 
1925 version without narration that uses title cards is on disc two, the special features disc. Right. And then, yeah, so the first time I got it, I didn't know that. I just I just got disc one through Netflix and watched the, the reissue version that has a new score and the, the narration. What do you think about the narration? I mean, it's it's um, I, when I was watching it personally, you know, I, I enjoy I enjoy the title cards in these silent films. That kind of brings a whole other dimension to it, and sometimes make th- makes things a lot funnier. You know, you I appreciate that it is Chaplin, and some of it is funny, and definitely the music is is uh, it, the music is I think better in the in the re release because you've got you know kind of a professional score. Whereas in the in the old version, the original version, I don't think they even have a real score for it. They I just think have, they sampled uh, other sort of classical pieces. For right. That. There is a theme that Ch- Chaplin composed for this. I think that they might play at the beginning, but otherwise, it's just kind of you know kind of stride piano that they've added in, kind of stock stride piano. Uh, and I have to say that I that I would go with the the original 1925 version. Because not only do you, do you is it kind of raw and you kind of you have the title cards and uh, but there are a lot of scenes that Chaplin deleted from the um, reissue version in the in the original for some reason and, and the, it, there it's kind of interesting too uh, once you find out the reasons for the deletion of some of the scenes yeah, and they're ta- key scenes yeah talk talk about what because it, it's basically I think he eliminated. Uh, a plot line, basically, in the re-release, because he he had some feelings about, uh, you know, whether or not it made you sympathetic for the for the hero or made you feel too bad for him. Talk talk about do you, can you can you talk a little about the changes that he made? Um, well, the the main one that I that I know of, uh, I, the main one that I know of is the end with when he's reunited with uh, Georgia, the girl from the dance hall. They're reunited on the ship. And they have a scene that's in the original version where they are photographed against the backdrop of the ocean and they they kiss. So basically, in the in the new version, this doesn't happen. This they're not they they cut out the kiss and they're just like reunited and that's it. But so in the in the original version, they're kind of it's a, uh, they fell in love and lived happily ever after. Kind of a, a message there. Well, um, was this uh, was this to do with the the Hayes Code or what? What? Why? No, this why was, was due to he 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 cut this out of the reissue because uh, he uh, because of his feelings toward the actress towards Georgia Hale. Uh, they had they had been in a relationship that that ended badly and and that had something to do with it from what I've read is why he chose to to take it out. Huh? And that's that's something we'll I I don't, I don't know how much we'll get into that, but Chaplin actually. Was he was a little bit of a of a cad, really? He sort of he sort of had various relationships with a lot of his leading ladies, and uh, I think that that was one of the reasons he ended up uh, having some issues with the U.S. government and and not being able to freely come back into this country. Um, so you know he he was he was definitely kind of the first example of a a movie star, you know, bad boy. Right. In terms of his his private life, right, definitely. Um, before we move on here, uh, there's one there's one one of my favorite scenes in this movie is uh, near the end. Okay, they they find the no spoiler alert. They 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 find the gold once they're reunited, and after the whole uh, sequence with the cabin falling off the cliff, and they they found the gold, and and uh, Big Jim and 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 the Tramp are now partners, and and they're on this ocean liner heading home, uh, 
you know, to be rich for the rest of their lives. And they're both wearing these big fur coats and everything, and they've changed kind of their whole demeanors have changed. They're very refined. And as they're walking on the deck of the, the ship, the tramp spots a, a cigar butt on the ground and picks it up because he's, he's, even though he's, he's now wealthy, he'll always be the tramp. And he picks, he picks up the cigar and starts to light. He's like, hey, score. But then right. Big Jim, who's like been ready to leave that kind of life of leave that life of poverty for a long time, smacks it out of his hand and says, "I've got like a I've got a box of you know fine Cubans right here. That's what we, we're <laughs> going to be smoking now." But he, you know, the tramp is the tramp, and you see that again uh, later on in City Lights when he's driving the uh, Rolls Royce uh, around the millionaire's Rolls Royce around, and he he sees a cigar butt on the side of the road or a cigarette butt on the side of the road. Gets out of the Rolls Royce, grabs it, and starts to smoke it. Gets back in and drives away. Uh, it's kind of like the, the tramp. No matter what lavish circumstances he might be under that, at that time, he will always be the tramp who is always looking for a, a you know a break or a, a freebie. Yeah, and Chaplin, I think Chaplin, you know, appreciates that sort of, you know, while he's obviously making fun of this character, I think he appreciates uh, having come from the background he did this sort of idea that. Uh, you know, a guy would never be willing to, you know, no, no scrap is too small for someone uh, like the tramp, basically. You know, he's he's not going to turn his nose up at anything that, that can get any use out of it. Right. And he'll, he'll, he'll never, and that's just, that's just part of the, that, that this character is not just a sight gag. It's, there's a lot, there are a lot of values there. There's a lot, there's kind of a code that he lives by and um you know you could you could talk all day about about who this guy is but he is definitely not just a clown there's a lot more going on there all right and we'll explore that a little bit more in our uh our next podcast we're going to hit on two more of the the biggest features uh that starred the tramp character um so join us for that podcast next graham thanks for uh joining me for this and uh look forward to the rest of the series yep me too